Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 130. Thank you for joining us. In a pleasant surprise, Hope returns to join Bonnie and I in welcoming Emily Stimson Chapman to the Colby Cast. Author, mother, and gracious example of hospitality, Emily is an inspiration to many. We were fortunate to have her share her time and wisdom with us and are grateful that we in turn could share this with you. We hope that you'll enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, liturgical musician, popcorn and podcast fanatic, and Colby homeschooling mom to four lads and lasses of middle and high school age. And this is Stephen, homeschooling father of five and director of development for Colby Academy. And I'm Hope, Bonnie's younger sister and a Colby alumna in a phase of life after being a student, but before becoming a parent. I studied communication theory and philosophy in college, then I went to law school. Now I'm an attorney, an avid home cook, and the fun aunt to Bonnie's kids. Morning, Stephen. How are you today? Doing well, Bonnie. That's a uh... Nice to meet up with you again. Yes, this is a two recording week. It's been great. We started and are ending our this week with recording. So that's been nice. It's been yes. a great way to start and end the week. So yeah, I'm delighted today to have my sister Hope, a Colby alumna and Colby cast co-host from early days back on mic for this conversation. Welcome back, Hope. Thank you for having me back. I'm glad to be here. Our guest today is the author of several books on topics ranging from encyclicals and theology of the body to good food and good socializing, and co-author of The Catholic Almanac we heard about from Tom and Noel Crow in Colby Cast episode 119. She has a social media presence that is both refreshing and inspiring to her followers, and she's here today to tell us about her latest projects and about how her foray into homeschooling is going. I'm ha- so happy to welcome Emily Stimson Chapman to the Colby Cast. Hello. Hi, it's so good to be here. Thank you for having me. We really appreciate you coming to talk to us. We've been excited for this conversation and have all all kinds of stuff to talk about. So we'll we'll see how we do here. <laughs> would you would you help us get to know you a bit uh, for those of our listeners who haven't yet had the pleasure of of knowing some of your work or following you on social media? Sure. Um, I am a mother of three. All three adopted uh, children. We've had them all since. They were born and they're quite little, so we are just starting homeschooling with our our four-year-old. We also have a two-year-old son and an 18-month-old daughter, so our youngest two are eight months apart, so life is extra, a little extra around here just in general the past couple of years. (laughs) Um, uh, We, My husband and I married later, so we married at 41, um, and so before that, I'd spent 15 years working as a Catholic writer, writing books and Bible studies and studies on cyclicals and essays and fundraising letters, you name it. If you can write it, I have written it. Uh, and I'm still, I'm still writing, writing less and a little differently now that uh, I've got the babies, but writing and yeah, it's a, it's a very busy full life here. I, I have some vague now memories of when <laughs> all my kids were little, so I can, I have some recollection of that. Can you relate to some of the things you're saying, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there have been many occasions when when Hope has shared with me a post of yours on social media and like, read this, this is great. Look at her latest post. <laughs> um, and I really find refreshing how you will be very transparent about how you approach social media and and what that can mean for you. Would you share some of those thoughts for our listeners who haven't seen those posts? Um, about social media in particular? So 
I have the advantage of, I didn't use social media for most of my life. You know, I lived (laughs) the first 35 years of my life without social media. Mm -hmm. So I take social media, um, a little less seriously in some ways. I recognize it for what it is that it's, you're always getting the highlight reel. You're not getting the fullness of the person. Um, it is useful for some things like sharing pictures of your kids or sharing recipes or um, getting a thought out there, you know, a, a, a short thought that can get someone thinking more or lead them to, to reading something deeper. It's not necessarily a useful tool for having debates or arguments because you're not you're not interacting with the actual person. You're interacting with words on a screen. Um, and that makes it very easy for us to reduce a person to less than they are. So I don't do hot takes. I don't <laughs> uh, when news breaks, unless it's maybe Queen Elizabeth dying or Angela Lansbury dying. I'm not going to comment on it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read. I'm going to think. I'm going to pray. I'm going to see if I really have something um, that I think God wants me to say on an issue. I try to stay focused on what I think God wants me talking about. And I don't, um, unless he says otherwise, I, I don't wander into topics that I think are not, are not either something that I have something important to say or useful to say or unique to say, because there are so many voices saying anything, um, saying things. And we often get overwhelmed with, uh, with the noise. And um, I try not to add to the noise. That's one of my, one of my goals on social media. I love how the posts that you make through this discernment process, sometimes they're very reflective, sometimes they're thought-provoking, sometimes they're like a recipe that I have to fit into my meal plan in the next week because it looks delicious and I want to try it. Like it's, it has such a neat range of um, the whole person, really. So you're one of the few Instagrammers that I feel like has that approach um, in a healthy way, I think. Thanks. Now, I, you know, I always try to just be myself and I'm, I'm somebody who likes to cook and I like to decorate and I care about how I dress and I care about my babies and I care about Jesus. <laughs> so actually a friend of me said the other day, and I thought it was a very, it's never what my intent was, but she said, she goes, you're running a one woman woman's magazine. She goes, and you're, you're writing theology. <laughs> you've got, you're sharing recipes, you're sharing decoration. You have your beauty stuff sponsored by beauty counselor. And she's like, it's a, it's a woman's magazine. I was like, yeah, I guess that's kind of what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a very real woman's magazine. It's, it's, it's as Emily experiences the world woman's magazine. It definitely has that dimension of, of the reality. Like this is, you're only catching this glimpse. You make that point over and over. You're just catching a, a moment in time. So you said you're, you're starting to homeschool your eldest. How's that going so far? Well, it's good because we've got a hybrid homeschool that's helping us. Nice. That's the best part. Um, yeah. nice. No, we um, have a wonderful little, um, it's a classical homeschool hybrid. So two days a week, but the for the first three years, it's Montessori. They do a Montessori three, four, five program um, on Mondays and Wednesdays. And that's been fantastic because he's such a Montessori little guy. <laughs> he wants to 
very busy, very active, wants to touch everything and do everything. We're probably getting a little too Montessori now because they'll be like, I'm getting the scissors, mom. And I'm like, no. <laughs> no, no, you're not getting the scissors. You are not 12 years old yet. You cannot actually use the scissors or the hammer. Um, but it's it's fun. I mean, we're really at the exploration stage, figuring out what schedule is going to work for us. Originally, we thought we'd do this for a few years and then switch to maybe a full-time Charlotte Mason model. But I've discovered that it's really nice to have the couple days where they're in the classroom and it, you know, with me working as well, how do I, how do I juggle all of it? So I don't know. I, almost all of my friends have a school. I've been around homeschoolers for 20 years now. So I know to take it one year at a time and not make any decisions beyond like what we're doing right now, but we're, we're in the learning and exploring and figuring it out stage. Super. And that's, that's great that you have those those around you who can give you that re- give you that reality check like here's how this goes for us and then you have that glimpse and that's kind of what we're trying to accomplish on the Colby cast how do you all make this work in your house you get to see that in real time yeah yeah again one of the advantages of being an older mom so <laughs> what you mentioned about the hybrid school is so cool that's originally how um so Colby started out as a day school and then the homeschool grew out of that. And there are various co-ops and hybrids that use Colby's curriculum and or families that you know use some Colby classes and then um, work with their local co-ops or Montessori schools or things like that. And, and I love seeing the variety of um, homeschool paths that people can take. And it kind of reminds me, so I have as I am a fangirl of your Instagram, I'm a fangirl of your Substack. Um, you had an article in the Substack not too long ago about why the devil wants women to do it all. And I just, I'm a complete <laughs> overcommitter to events. And I don't even, I'm not married. I don't have kids yet. So I don't know how worse it's going to get, but I love hearing your guidance on um, just this idea of trying to do it all versus accepting help, and, you know, with, your current state of life running a home with lots of littles around and and very transparent and kind of you know with teacher salary and and freelancing salary just if you could kind of recap your thesis from that article from people who haven't had the benefit of reading it before hearing you and then kind of uh, talk about that some I think that would be great. Okay. I have to try to remember what I wrote because I have like a Swiss cheese brain of a mother with three small children. So sometimes I don't always remember, but I think my point in that article was the devil wants us to spread ourselves so thin that we can't live our primary vocation well, Um, both in terms of our relationship with God. Like if we have nothing left to give to God because we've given it to everything else, you know, we can't be getting the grace we need to sustain us, but also in terms of our vocation as mothers, whether that's, you know, spirit, everyone is called to spiritual motherhood. All women are called to spiritual motherhood and spiritual motherhood requires attention to the person. It requires, you know, eyes that see and ears that hear and the ability to focus on what the person is saying, what the person needs, what we can give to them. Um, And if we're so busy chasing, doing all the things and, you know, saying yes to everything, we are not able to give that kind of maternal focus and attention to the people right in front of us who who need us to love them with a mother's love. And so you end up with a world where everyone is frantic and no one is being truly loved and no one's being truly seen because we're all trying to do it all. And 
it's in saying no to things that we're really able to say yes to what God is, is calling us to do right in front of us. Is that what I said? (laughs) It sounds familiar and it sounds lovely. So (laughs) that's what I said. I think people should go subscribe and read it for themselves. (laughs) I think that was even maybe a free one. So everyone can probably read that one. We'll we'll provide a way to get to that point in the show notes. We'll put a link to that so that people can, can take that stuff. Yep. So much more the case for women in the world today than, I mean, men have always gotten to kind of compartmentalize things. So it's like, oh, I'm going to go to work and then I'm coming home to the family and these things. But, you know, my wife works full time plus is the primary homeschooler in our for our, our four children who are still at home. And then there's just the daily stuff. So I now work out of home, out of the home, but for years didn't. So it was much easier to say, okay, I've, I'm gone to work. I'm focusing on work. Now I'm here back home so I can be with the family. But um, she's just pulled in a lot of different directions. So you can, you can see how, e- how much more easily that, that temptation to do everything, you know, to, to be everything. Interesting. Well, and the culture tells us we're supposed to do everything. You know, we're supposed yes. to be, you know, having this amazing career and traveling all over the place and doing our nails and getting our hair done and, you know, having a fabulous house and being a fabulous cook and doing that. And you just, nobody can, like, we're not, we all have our limits and recognizing those limits can actually be a blessing. And, you know, by saying no to other things, we're able to say yes to the most important things. I think, I think you have a, a nice way of identifying the gifts that you have and using those you have these beautiful children that you're caring for in a season of life that's very um, lively and intense in many ways you also have other parts of yourself that you are nurturing and maintaining and developing as well I, I draw inspiration from how you're accomplishing that thank you how do you see a classical education helping to combat the deadly danger of being more Catholic than the church? This is a very timely topic, so I'm interested in your thoughts on it. Right. So I am not the expert in classical education. <laughs> and I'm just really beginning to learn um, about the you know, what what a classical education can give to a child and how it helps them to think. But I, you know, the world is so illogical some days. Um, people, you know, we're given sound bites that play on our emotions. We are um, bombarded with statements that really are very carefully crafted in terms of marketing, but aren't deeply rooted in truth. And I think when your child learns how to think, you know, when they know the logic that's part of the classical curriculum, when they recognize how rhetoric is being used to present something that is illogical. Um, That training is going to help them to see through the lies of the world, to think clearly, to to hold up what the world is saying against some very objective markers. And if you don't have those skills, it's going to be very difficult to navigate your way through the world. And I see that with my husband's high school students all the time. Um, They are actually starting a classical track at his high school, which is going to be great because there's a, a couple of Catholic classical schools that are, they need a place to send their kids for high school. Like they need a feeder place. Um, but the students he has now are not classically educated. And it, you know, even though they've gone to Catholic schools their whole lives, they 
they think like the world. They they think in sound bites. They they aren't able to see inconsistencies in different statements and different ideas. They aren't able to look at the reality right in front of them and say, oh, this reality I'm seeing is not what I'm being told I should be seeing or what should be the fruit of the way people are living. So I think the more well-trained your child's mind is, um, you know, it's not the whole picture. There's lots more that goes into preparing a child to navigate the world as a disciple, but it's a definite aid. Mm -hmm. I love what you said about being able to recognize when rhetoric is being used to convey something illogical because I, we have an early Colby cast on this about the proper area or the proper sphere of rhetoric and its proper uses and then how it's you know almost developed this automatically negative connotation in current conversation about like, oh, well, that's just rhetoric. And so having the ordered sense of how truth and beauty and goodness form the world and how we can interact with the world on those bases. I mean, I've seen that in my classical education. And frankly, you would have fooled me if you hadn't said that you were <laughs> new to classical education because that was a better explanation of it than many that I've heard. So. Yes. Well, I'm a writer. So, you know, the, the foundations of a classical education in terms of grammar, logic, and rhetoric, they're like my basic tools in everything I do. So, um, you know, I think rhetoric is incredibly important. It just needs to be at the service of, of logic and facts. Like it needs to, you know, so the proper ordering of those things. I think when you can properly order those things, you can do anything in life. Like as my skill set as a writer, I could be doing a whole lot of jobs right now. People are always trying to hire me to do something. You know, I'm doing what I think God wants me to do. But I think those skills are invaluable skills in almost every field um, and in terms of discipleship. So it's a, you know, it's definitely something I've thought about just not in the intensive way of I'm educating my children classically, <laughs> although that's the direction we're, you know, kind of heading. So, yeah. You know, there can be a tendency to, I mean, if you don't develop those, I guess you, you tendency to throw out some of the, the good things as well, or to, to not properly understand, I guess, the good things maybe as, a, so there was something in the question, your question, Bonnie, about being more than Catholic. So I was kind of curious about Yes, you, you've had some, some excellent writing lately about uh, being more Catholic than the church and this, this moment in our, in our there's contention in, in various uh, areas of the church, I guess. But you had a way of speaking right, right to that. And so we'd love if you could uh, share those thoughts with us. Yeah, sure. Well, I think that's where, that's where some of the ideas work in, in terms of, oh, grammar, logic, and rhetoric. Um, right now, we live in an age where our leadership in the church has not been, there are exceptions, but lots of our leaders have not been leading well. Like they haven't been good fathers. They haven't been courageous. They haven't been clear. They haven't been loving. They haven't been honest. Um, there are a lot of, you know, I've worked professionally with the church for most of my adult life and my yeah. husband's. So, you know, if I get, that is for a lot of people, um, they don't have degrees in theology. They don't, you know, their job is not to be professional Catholics. And so when the fathers aren't fathering, the children look for 
fathers. They look for leadership. They look for clear leadership. And some people run in one direction. They run away from the church. Um, and some people run to the voices that seem very courageous, but are actually not necessarily proclaiming the fullness of the truth. Um, and so you've got people, you know, running to the left and running to the right, even though I don't like political terms imposed on the church. It's uh, people being more Catholic and people being less Catholic than the church is probably the better way to say it. But when you know your faith, when you know the, the grammar of it, when you know the logic of how it all works together, when then you're not moved by the strong rhetoric on either side. You can see where the rhetoric is not in correspondence with the heart of the church. And you are able to plant yourself firmly in that heart, recognizing that, you know, we all beat our breasts in mass every Sunday and say, you know, we've, I've greatly sinned, but we forget. <laughs> We're like, oh, but not our priest, not our bishop, not that person. Mm -hmm. They should not have greatly sinned. So we act so shocked when people have greatly sinned. Um, and I think it's that, that knowledge of the faith that roots you there and you're not moved by the scandal, you're not moved by the rhetoric, you're not moved by the emotion. Um, and you're able to, you know, sort of cling to that central heart of the church in an age when so many forces are trying to pull us like, in every direction. This calls to mind the episode we just did with Monsignor Shea a few episodes back. He speaks so much to so many of these similar things that you're talking about. So we'll link to that in our show notes. At this point, though, I'd love to hear what you have going on currently. You've got uh, quite a catalog of, of books published, but you have lots of things happening coming out now. What are you up to these days? Uh, my big project right now is a series of free eBooks that I'm doing. Um, and I just got off an interview with someone else right before I talked to you. And she was like, why are you giving these books away for free? And um, <laughs> a part of it is because I don't want to monetize everything I write. I think that's a temptation when you're a self-employed writer in this economy is to monetize everything. And I don't want to do that. So it's a good check on myself. But the topics that I'm writing about, um, it's going to be a series. So abortion is the first one. Okay. It came out in October. Uh, there's going to be a book about adoption coming out and a book about infertility. And these are... Um, there's a lot of books in the Catholic world. But, um, so my desire is not to repeat what's been written before, but to bring something new to the table. There is very, very little out there from a Catholic perspective on adoption and infertility. So that, you know, is, is one thing, but the, the abortion one I put first, and I certainly never thought, oh, I want to write a book about abortion. Um, it's kind of in some ways the last book I wanted to write about. Um, but after the events of this summer, and I get a really good snapshot of, of women and the questions they have because of my Instagram account and um, women who are Catholic and who love the church, women who are Catholic and finding their way back to the church, women who are, you know, have left the church. Um, and all of those women still have some of the same questions about the church's teachings on abortion. They were, um, they've heard plenty of what's said on Fox News. They've heard what um, you know, is said on CNN or MSNBC, but in terms of the actual church teaching on some of the toughest questions about abortion, the, you know, the hard issues that are talked about very often in the news, because it's so much easier to talk about, you know, they'd much rather talk about the hard issues than the 96% of abortions that are, um, you know, have nothing to do with rape or incest or health of the mother or the health of the baby. So, I decided the best way for me to do that was to do um, a Q&A. So sort of a 25 questions about abortion that are 
answered very faithfully. So in terms of this is what the church teaches. This is not what the Republican Party says. This is not what your local politician says. This is how the church understands these issues. Um, but that's also done with great compassion for women who have suffered an abortion, those people who have been affected by abortion. There's so much pain and so much suffering and so many women in our pews who love the Lord and are faithful disciples of his who have an abortion in their past and they don't know how to talk about it. They don't know how to forgive themselves. Um, they are haunted by it. And so when we talk about abortion, it's important, not just that we represent the church's teachings clearly, but that we represent it with the great love Jesus Christ has for all of his, all of his sons and daughters. And just a, a deep, deep, deep-seated view of the dignity of the human person, because that is always what the church's teachings on abortion are rooted in, is, you know, her, her love for the human person. And um, so that first book released, it is free on Apple Books, it is free on Barnes and Noble. Um, there's a PDF you can go to on Instagram and download. And it is for everyone to do anything they want with. I don't want money to be an obstacle to anyone getting it. I want people using it in RCA, I know dioceses are posting it on their websites. Um, you know, I want people to post it wherever they can. Schools post it on their websites, do whatever, um, because I do think it's important that we have um, compassionate answers out there, not just for the people who are struggling with the teachings, but for people who deeply believe the teachings and are struggling to communicate those teachings. Um, like, how do you how do you do that with love and compassion and clarity? So the first book is on abortion. Like I said, the next one will be about adoption because there is nothing out there that I could even remotely recommend on adoption that's been written by a Catholic um, and then infertility. So that's my little project right now. Wow. Little. little. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been bigger than I thought it would be. It was a little more of a, but, but it's no, there it's Q and A's are fun and easy and I do them on Instagram all the time. And I think it's a form that a lot of people can can process and digest. It's not sitting down with a big dense book. It's, you know, you can take it one question at a time. You can look for where the question you're struggling with. It, it makes it digestible for people. And the ebook format means you can carry it with you and have it handy. Yeah. And it's easy to share. You can copy the answer and send it to your friend and say, here's the answer to your question. Yeah. Hmm. However it works. Wonderful. And I understand you also have a new children's book coming out, which you've been working on with Scott Hahn. Will you tell us about that? Yes, this is the project I'm most excited about of anything I've ever done. And unfortunately, it was supposed to come out for Christmas, but printers are so behind that they weren't going to be able to get it out until like a few days before Christmas. So we're pushing back the release date um, okay. a little bit. But uh, this is a series of children's books. Um, I'm writing them. They're based on Scott's uh, best-selling books. So the first one that's coming out will be, um, it's based on Hail Holy, Hail Holy Queen, and it's called Mary, Mother of Us All. And it is, um, it is very rich theologically. So adults sitting down should actually be able to understand more about um, these topics, like in this particular one, Mary, than maybe they've understood before but I am passionate about good writing and good children's literature. And so the rhyme scheme and the meter scheme are correct in this one. <laughs> so good many deal. Catholic children's books are, are lovely, but the rhyme and meter just falls apart. And so yeah. I end up changing it when I'm reading aloud to my kids because I'm so bugged by like some of this thing. I'm like, what is this other part of Big Fit? Um, so hopefully the writing is delightful and engaging and fun. And it's the kind of thing that, children, it will just get in children's heads and they'll have it memorized and, you know, kids will be talking about it. 
but also um, conveying very rich scriptural teachings to them about the most important topics of our faith and maybe helping mom and dad learn a thing or two. So I'm writing the second one right now and that's based on the Lamb's Supper. So it'll be about the mass. Um, and we've got a contract for six of these, but if people like them, we will keep going. So those sound fantastic. So much more fun than writing books about abortion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, what you said about the books being very engaging for kids and also for parents makes me think of, it's, I think it's C.S. Lewis, it may be G.K. Chesterton, but I, I'm pretty sure that it's Lewis said like a children's story that's only entertaining or like only engaging to children is not a good children's story. So since this is engaging to children and parents, it sounds like it's a very good children's story. I hope so. I hope so. I am, I, when I was crying the day I found out it wasn't going to be out in time for Christmas. And so it's, um, I am just so excited to get this into families' hands. And I think it's really, I think this series of books will do a lot for forming both parents and children more deeply in the truths of the faith. So that's my hope. The whole publishing world. Whoa. That I, I know you've been through it several times. You've, you've written other books with Scott Hahn in the past, right? So this is a, mm -hmm. a continuing collaboration yeah. with him. Yeah. No, Scott and I have a, so when I was in grad school, I was Scott's assistant. He found out I'd been Ed Meese's assistant in Washington, DC, attorney general Ed Meese. And he's like, well, I need Ed Meese's assistant. So he <laughs> hired me. And um, then uh, over the years, I've worked with Scott on so many projects and I'm one of the co-authors of the journey through scripture Bible studies that they do. And, you know, I've helped write and edit those and I've worked with Scott on book projects and so yeah, he was like, all right, who do I trust to turn these books into children's books? He's like, Emily might be able to do this. We'll see. Hmm. And I think I did, but both the jury's out until it's released, I guess. Longstanding collaboration. That's neat. Mm -hmm. Okay. So among your many talents is your gift for hospitality. And I really enjoy how you have spoken, how in your, before you married and had your own children, that you were very much a part of other families' lives um, as you continue to be. Can we turn our thoughts toward Advent? This episode will be coming out as Advent is getting underway. That that time seems to just go faster and faster, and it's on one and a half speed at least, as I like to listen to my <laughs> podcast, or faster. So what do you think about Advent? What would you like to convey to our listeners about that season? If we were all in perfect control of our schedules, I'm sure we would all have lovely, peaceful <laughs> advents where, you know, there's plenty of time for reflection and important, meaningful traditions. Uh, but life has a way of taking over. There's lots of people in our lives. It's one of the things I learned when I got married. I was like, oh, it's not just about how I want to raise my kids or what shows they're going to watch. My husband is a say this too. Um, yes. So I think we have to recognize recognize that it's never going to look like we think it should in our head yeah. and then sit down and pick a few priorities. Like what are going to be, you know, the few feast days we really want to make sure that get celebrated during Advent. What are the one or two traditions as a family we're really going to focus on? Um, who can we invite into our home during this period? Like it's so easy to get caught up in you know, we've got this going on and this going on, but just looking for ways to include, especially single people, um, whether they are young or old or awkward or socially adept, however it is, looking for people who need to be invited in. It is an important work of mercy to do that. 
as an almost 30 year old single person, I co-sign that statement. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. I mean, it's tempting to just always invite families over, but, um, you know, people need to be invited in and I love, I would totally have you over for dinner anytime you want it because single women are the best. You can hand them a baby and you can keep cooking. <laughs> they have no one holding their hands. They have, no, they have empty hands. So it's great. I'm, yes. I don't know why everyone's not inviting single women to every dinner of the week practically. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, I think just really thinking how we can, finding ways to serve others, finding a couple of important traditions carving out some silent time for ourselves, even if it's only five minutes and also being okay. Like if you forgot to light the Advent candle for the past three nights, that doesn't mean you can't light it on the fourth night. You know, you can, you just, you take it as you come and you don't want your stress about it, coloring your children's memories of it. So not to stress too much and just be present as much as possible because nobody can do all the Catholic things. Nobody like people online are showing you all the, all the Catholic things, but nobody's doing all of them. They're all showing you some a different thing. So don't get taken in by the idea that if you're not doing a different liturgical activity every day of the week, that you're failing as a Catholic mother. <laughs> well said. And some of the things that you just mentioned there, I recognize from your book, The Catholic Table, about prayer, food, conversation, and wine. Lots of wine, as the website says. Or, or a martini. So. <laughs> 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 I think that if I were writing it now, I'd be like, martini but yes no it's you know the (laughs) basics of how our lord interacted with people he he ate with them he drank with them he talked with them he walked with them Mm -hmm. and that's really how we're called to to live the gospel and christian witness in our own families and in our own lives like with our kids we sit down at the dinner table every night with our kids and i it's actually great training (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's tough. Some nights are crazy, but I know that we're discipling them through sitting down with them and eating with them. And that that's an important act in the family. And then doing that in the community and with friends too, and just spreading outwards as much as you can within limits. Like I only invite people over on certain nights of the week because my husband can get early home early enough that I can cook on those nights of the week. Guests have to be there at five because the kids are going to bed at seven. So it's different <laughs> in this season than it was when I was single, but it's you know, we're always adapting because we know that the call to hospitality and is so important in this world and in culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the breaking bread is one of the things that I think classical education shows how Christ and Christianity is the fulfillment of it. I've, I think I've told this story before, but it's one of my main ones. I will tell it as many times as I think of it. Um, when I was a 10th grader with Colby, there was a reference to Julius Caesar and his um, soldiers grilling asparagus one night when they were in between battles. And I was like, what? They ate asparagus? We eat asparagus. And so different like different references to food and, and sharing food show up there. They show up in Homer. There's a line about they put forth their hands to the good food to eat. And seeing those come into this idea of hospitality really come into the fullness of its truth through where we are now with grace and the church and um, beautiful leadership, like just by people leading by example like you. And yeah, I think it's great. Stephen, you too are practiced in this extension of hospitality. Would you share some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, I just, I mean, I agree that food and uh, a friendly table just seems to make a 
huge difference. We've we last year we moved to Arkansas, as I've said before, but before that we were very close to a college, and you know what a joyful thing to bring in these college students who were away from their families. Often, oftentimes they would have big you know lots of siblings that they were missing in addition to their parents, and have them come in and be able to sit down with my five kids at that time and and uh, for my kids to be able to see these wonderful beautiful young adults and have great conversations and you know it's 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 a it's a real benefit if you know if you can as you said if you, if you can balance that it's such a blessing for for everyone involved so yeah it's great and i love your comments also about including uh people older than college age, a traditional college age, you're like the hope is always, she's, she's a fixture around here. And she is a pro her, her skills at baby holding are legendary. Now she tells me stories of, of uh, meeting other families and hanging on doing just what you're suggesting here, hold this baby while I'm doing this or that. And, and the parents of the children being like, wow, you're good at this. And she's got a lot of experience at that. She's definitely a blessing to have around that way. Well, and it's, it's lovely for me because it's it can be very silent living without having lots of children around. And I recognize that that is the opposite of what many people experience, but, you know, um, often virtue lies in the middle. And so if I can, you know, provide a, a meal and a glass of wine to a mom friend who needs some silence in my house, I'm also happy to go to her house and hold some babies and help with some dishes. And it, and that way we can be present to each other. I love these examples you all have set for that. Okay, Emily, all this has been great. What's the next tip for people who have enjoyed what they've heard today? If people want to um, read more of my serious writing, Substack's a great way to do that. Um, I'm trying to offer, uh, Instagram is always little thoughts. Like here's a thought I can share. And like, and I, that I am trying to drive people to other resources through Instagram. You know, Instagram can never be enough. I think it's easy to get stuck on social media for our news and stuck on social media for our faith formation. And we really need to be diving into, into more, and especially in this culture. Um, and I'm able to do a little bit more of that with my, with my Substack essays that go out and still include some recipes and things like that. Um, but no, it's just always an encouragement for people to, there's, it's hard as a mom to find time for me to listen to podcasts and read articles and read books and feed my soul in the way I need to. Um, and I'm just coming out of a sort of three-year blur of littles where I like, okay, I can actually go for a walk and listen to a podcast now, but I'm realizing how much richer my mothering is when I'm taking the time to, to nurture my own soul and to nurture my mind. And even if it's, even if it's only a 20 minute walk where I listen to 20 minutes of a podcast, it is, it is so important. So just making sure we're all taking, because we can't give to our kids what we don't have and life is always presenting new challenges. And so just making sure we're being fed through those challenges so that we can give to the children is of the, uh, it, one of the hardest things to do, but also one of the most important. That bears repeating <laughs> to hear that yeah. over and over again. Bonnie and Stephen, what's the phrase that Mrs. Muth would say? So Diane Muth was one of the founders of Colby and she had a house with many children and was it, she would go to her desert, yep. is that what she would call it? She's if she took her desert. Yeah. You know, 15 minutes or something like that for herself. Mm -hmm. so. 
I'd like a garden, not a desert. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that works too. Good one. Yes. A garden. It doesn't sound yeah. hot and dry. <laughs> right, right. Definitely. Yeah. Garden. That would be nice. Yeah. Well, we'll be sure to include links on how to find Emily online and how to uh, avail ourselves of all these wonderful things that she has been working on and continues to work on. And so we'll be on the lookout for the children's book coming out. We really appreciate the time you've taken with us this morning, Emily. Thank you so much and uh, many blessings upon you and your family. It was great talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. Subscribe to the Colby Cast on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss an episode. And let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating or review. And as always, feel free to email us at podcast at colby.org. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.